You're listening to episode 62 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. This week, we're talking with Jason Gabry. Jason's life mission is to know God and to live, lead, and serve in a way that others are inspired to know God. He's a member of the Anglican Order of Preachers, and he served with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship since 1997, leading ministries on campuses in Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. He's also served in pioneering efforts with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. Currently, Jason serves as Regional Ministry Director for InterVarsity's work in New York and New Jersey. In his latest book, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness, is an invitation to a deeper relationship with the God in the middle of our loneliness. To be human is to be lonely. Jason begins his new book on loneliness with this quote from Friar Hugo, and it says something profound about what it means to be human. We all experience loneliness. We feel left out, like we don't measure up, or like the odd man out of the group. But this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We were created for community, to reflect the relational nature of God himself. Sin and the loss of relationship has opened up a chasm between us and God, as well as between us and our friends, spouses, co-workers, and family. We seek deep relationships like a starving man seeks food. But unless we understand loneliness, we will seek relationships in the wrong way. We will try to numb the pain or distract ourselves from reality with fake relationships or cheap imitations. And so, loneliness persists. That's why in this conversation with Jason, we talk about the causes of loneliness and how it can actually lead us to pay closer attention to the most important relationships in our lives. Jason, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here with you. Really excited to be talking with you today about your book, uh, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness, I think a very timely book. Um, you know, we've had a lot of really good, timely conversations on the podcast. I really think God is trying to do something um, specific in our lives and in hearts and, and I think in our audiences as well. Um, what led you to write this book on loneliness, though? I, I'm guessing you didn't start writing it in, in 2020, although... I, I did not. No. I, I do believe it was meant for 2020. <laughs> well, it, it came out. It, it came out. Uh, in it launched early in April, it came out in May, at right in the middle of people beginning to talk more seriously about social isolation and the the effects of everything shutting down. And I have a friend who says, "Yeah, I wouldn't let that build your faith. You know, it's probably just a coincidence." But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I wrestled with loneliness all my life, uh, ever since I was a kid, probably before I can even remember, I was wrestling with loneliness. And uh, I talk about that a little bit in the book. And so loneliness has been a topic for me personally, but it's also been something that I, I've been paying attention to in our culture. Uh, and it increasingly, because I work with college students, I've seen generation after generation feel uh, 
each generation that comes up feeling ever so slightly more socially anxious, ever so slightly less connected, which is weird because they're in some ways this young people today are the most connected generation to ever exist on planet Earth. And they're also the loneliest generation to ever exist on planet Earth. So so the two driving factors for this book was one, my personal connection with loneliness. But but the other is what Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is the former Surgeon General of the United States, called the loneliness epidemic. Uh, I think we're in an epidemic of loneliness. And I think uh, especially young people, but all people across generations need to wrestle with loneliness. We need new language. We need to be able to talk about it. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. Oh, why? <laughs> why do we need to wrestle with something like loneliness? That seems a, uh, a peculiar way of, uh, of putting that. Shouldn't we... Uh, be trying to avoid loneliness or get out of that? Oh, yeah. What a great question. Um, so there's a couple answers to that. One is practical, one's theological. So practically, shouldn't we build, shouldn't we work on our connecting skills and work on our social connectedness and work on our abilities to uh, know ourselves, know others, and, and even know God? Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, social connection is something that you can measure scientifically. What's really interesting is people can have really strong social connections and still be lonely. Hmm. And so even if you have all the relational skills in the world, if your uh, desire for connection is different than the current configuration of your connections. And by the way, we need different types of connections. We need intimate connections and we need peers and we need people we're looking up to and we need people we're, de we're developing. You know, we need those different kinds of relationships. So if our social connections are very strong and yet it's out of sync with what we desire, then we can still be lonely. And so we need to be able to understand loneliness and we need to be able to work with it. Here's, here's the other side of the practical piece. Most of us assume that if we're lonely, that means there's something wrong with us. Mm. Uh, that, that somehow we're either low status uh, or we should be low status or that, you know, that it, it messes with our cortisol levels. You know, it's sort of this you're lonely, you're isolated, you're alone, bad, bad, bad. It sends all these signals into our bodies. <clears throat> it's really terrible stuff. Now, and, and so we assume loneliness equals there's something wrong with me. But theologically, this is really interesting. Theologically, loneliness is the only problem that human beings have in a prelapsarian context. And you know this, you know Genesis 1, you know, God saw and it was good. And he said it was good. God sees and it was good. God saw and it was good over and over again, seven times in the whole poem of creation. Season is good. Then in Genesis two, God sees that the man is alone. The human creature is alone. And he says it is not good for the man to be alone. And uh, that not good is really strong. In contrast to everything else that has been, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Being alone, not good. And so if you think about it, uh, theologically, loneliness is not a result of, this, of the fall. It's not a result of sin. Loneliness is baked in. It's a biological, created in the image of God uh, capacity that... Uh, that is just like food and sleep. So we don't feel guilty about the fact that we need to eat 
multiple times a day. We don't feel like there's something wrong with us that we need to sleep. But when it comes to being lonely, when it comes to feeling that sense of deep disorientation that happens around our relational desires and our relational connections, we feel like, oh, if I'm experiencing that, there's something wrong with me. There isn't. There, it just means you're human. Uh, it just means you're creating the image of God. And so we need language to talk about loneliness that is going to help us understand it practically, but also relate to it theologically. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the book uh, hopefully tries to answer both of those questions. You know, that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I love theology so much because that is a that's an extremely fascinating answer you've just given. I've never heard anybody uh, express loneliness in that way before, but that's really cool because again, if you think about it in relation to hunger or some of these other natural desires, you're right. There, uh, you you can't feel shame around that. I've never, uh, you know, come to you, Josh, and it was like, hey, it's lunchtime. I, you know, I'm sorry for that, but uh, you know, can we know, go? Maybe eat? depends on if you're really late or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's true. <laughs> I think I think loneliness though is tied up in our identities in a certain way. I mean, in a way, we're meant to relate to other people, and if we're deprived of that, if we're, if we're wired for relationships, and if we're created in the image of God and who He is is relating to Himself in the Trinity, in a way that we, in a way we kind of reflect that. If we're deprived of that, that encroaches on our identity, I think, more than being hungry does. Yeah. Um, but is that, but like, would you, Jason, would you say that then that, that becomes that sort of call that, that loneliness is that call to relationship in the same way that hunger, it would be a call to eat and, and nourish our bodies in that way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So if you deprive yourself of food, you, your body will increasingly, you will become stressed, you will become irritable, you will become dis, disoriented. You'll, you, you know, if, and so if you deprive yourself of relationships or you are deprived of relationship, then all of those same things happen. Um, I, I think you're right to say that loneliness touches on our identity. What's interesting is that we, where we don't feel shame about our biological needs, we do feel shame around our relational needs, especially as men. Uh, I think men more than women, but women too. And some of that's just we live in an, in the West anyway, in an individualistic culture where status is associated with not needing other people. And so the more status you have, the more independent you are. And so to admit that you need people it feels like your lower status. It feels like there's something inherently wrong with you. If I was, if I was really high status, if I was really on top of things, I wouldn't need uh, other people in this way. And so, if I'm feeling lonely, that that must be an indication that there's something wrong with me. It's it's why when you ask somebody, hey, how are you do? Even somebody you know really really well, hey, how are you doing this week? Nobody ever is going to answer that question. Well, you know, I've been wrestling with loneliness this week. You know. Mm-hmm. No, nobody ever answers that because loneliness is, gosh, it, it's so vulnerable. It feels so hard to talk about. Yeah. And we've got to learn to talk about it here. You know, just just practically why, um, you know, one in four, uh, one in four young people uh, wrestle with suicidal ideation. Think about that for a moment. Like that is a crisis, right? 
you, over seven out of 10 young people, young people, the people who are at the port in their lives that should be the most socially connected, they should be building their social networks and should be in this place of deep relational uh, engagement. Seven out of 10 of them, almost eight out of 10 of them say they feel lonely most of the time, a good deal of the time. You know, so we've got significant we get significant challenges in our culture and context that loneliness is also a huge problem for men over 40. It's also a huge problem for people who enter into retirement. It's a huge problem across the age spectrum. So I tend to focus on young people because that's my ministry, but across the spectrum, there's a real need here. And, um, and what I learned about 10 years before I started noticing this through my own kind of spiritual process and discipleship was, uh, you know, I was at a stage where I was doing ministry, had kids over, had, had um, college students over all the time, had two young children. Uh, my wife and I are in ministry together. So our home, New York City, was always full of people. We had small groups over, we had students over, we had playmates over for our kids, constantly over people all, you know, coming through our home and I would stand at my sink having 20 people just left my home and I'm cleaning up from dinner and I'm just going, I don't feel like anybody in this group really sees me, really gets me, really understands me, really knows what I'm going through. What the heck is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And, and learning, um, when I shared that with, with, uh, Friar Ugo's, kind of walking me through, helping me see uh, my spiritual life a little differently. He said, oh, you know, this is great. And I said, clearly you're not been listening. This is not great at all. <laughs> but he said, this is great because to be human is to be lonely. Yeah. This is, and it's the, it was, it's the experience of the person on the street. It's the experience of the person who works on Wall Street. It was often the experience of our Lord Jesus himself. And so you can either look at loneliness as something to try to get away from, an escape, or you could see it as the beginning of a life of discipleship, a new way, a new phase in your discipleship with the Lord. And I just thought that that is really attractive to me. I want to understand that. And ultimately, that journey in Scripture is what became the book. So I love that. I love that story you tell standing at the sink after everybody had, had gone away. I, I look back, I didn't realize it at the time, but I kind of had a similar experience when I was in uh, the youth group. And so I had, I was leading a small group and it, it was growing and getting quite large. And so every once in a while we would, we would take the opportunity to kind of throw a surprise party for somebody who might've been having a birthday and really just bless them and, and try to come around them. And uh, so we used, we used my house. And I remember one time I was setting up and I wanted to have a few people over to help me set up because we're decorating and, and all of this stuff. And I remember right before the party, people kept coming and nobody was helping. And that might've also been the source of this. But I remember at one point I had to walk, I just had to leave, walk away, go to my room. And I just collapsed on my bed face first. Now, looking back on that again, I felt extremely alone in that, in that moment and mm. overwhelmed and frustrated. But looking back on that, I, I realized that that was a big part of my introversion sort of coming out. I was like, okay, there, mm. I was just little overwhelmed with people. But as I hear your story, I can't help but maybe think about that. Is this also dealing with loneliness and introversion, extroversion thing, or do we deal with those things 
um, differently depending on, you know, maybe that sort of a bent that we have? Yeah, great question. I love that question. Um, so I think introverts can be lonely and I think extroverts can be lonely and I think uh, they're lonely sometimes just differently mm-hmm. uh, or the way they express it is different. Uh, the way uh, and then, of course, you have relational introverts and you have, you know, kind of gre- non-gregarious extroverts. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, so introversion and extroversion has to do largely with where do you get energy from mm-hmm. where, you know, where do you get the kind of relational personal energy? Do you get the energy by being alone or do you get that energy by interacting with people? Loneliness has to do with what are you longing for? And so it has to do with what 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 kind of connections are really most important to you. So um, so, for example, you can have a great marriage and be lonely. Hmm. You can have a great marriage and be lonely. Uh, People think if I'm married and I'm lonely, I must not have a great marriage. It's not true because because you're kind. You may be lonely, not for intimate relationship you may be lonely for peers you may need somebody who understands your experience as a minister as somebody who is exposed to a certain amount of public facing life or as you know, so or you may be lonely for a mentor uh you know sometimes uh what my mom passed away about 10 years ago she was in ministry she was somebody who uh, at the end of the day, when I had a really hard ministry problem, I would call her. Uh, and she was a mentor figure to me as well as being my mom. Well, some of what I miss, some of the loneliness I sometimes experience is I, it's let, if, you know, when I go through periods and I, I'm going through something and I, I would pick up the phone and call my mom because I want her mentorship in this particular area. And I'm not sure who else to call. Right. And so that doesn't mean I don't have So I can have a great marriage. I can have great friends. I can be leading a fantastic ministry and I can still be lonely. And uh, because loneliness has to do with what are you what kind of relational connections are you longing for? And then how are you filling those for for an introvert? An introvert may be lonely because they want one good friend. Uh, an extrovert may be lonely because the, or, you know, an extrovert may be lonely because they want more peers to play with. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. so, um, so that, that does play into it, but I think the loneliness cuts across, mm-hmm. it, it cuts across both. Yeah. No, I'm glad you, you clarified that because we do confuse those a, a lot. And so I just wanted to I wanted to bring that up just to kind of rule that out and make sure that, you know, we weren't thinking, oh, well, you're obviously an extrovert. Everybody leaves. Now you're lonely. Um, What I'm hearing you say, though, is it really does become important to identify um, or the way you described it earlier was to make sure that these different aspects of our life with relationships uh, are in sync, like intimacy Mm -hmm. and and, uh, like peer relationships mentor relationships and because again if one of those gets out of balance or for longing for something within that uh it will send a sense of loneliness throughout us and so uh, what, what i'm hearing you and uh, you can yeah. correct me then is that sure. that then that loneliness sort of can act as an alarm bell or again like hunger it says mm. something is off here 
How can we then go about identifying which area of our life that we're needing to fill with um, uh, relationship or, uh, you know, and and maybe that's not even the right way of uh, characterizing that. Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, so I sort of, that's a great question. And I think it takes a very practical approach, which is different from the approach I take in the book, but I think it's a, it's a great approach. Um, so there is a way of approaching it to say loneliness. Well, the, the lonely feeling is a trigger. It's a, it says something, uh, and you know, it, it's signaling something. And then when I feel the trigger, I then need to decide how I'm going to respond to it. One of one of the mentors I've had in ministry said, you know, so often, again, I do college ministry and I work with young people and, you know, seven out, seven or eight out of 10 young men are addicted to pornography, uh, four or five uh, out of 10 young women uh, also have that struggle. Uh, but one of my mentors said, you know, we assume that the problem with addiction to pornography or uh, sexual addiction is sex. Why don't we ever assume it's loneliness? Um, loneliness is a trigger that we fill in ways that aren't helpful. We respond to ways that aren't helpful. And so you're absolutely right. We can, there is a way of, of kind of doing discipleship it says when I see, when I experience this trigger, what am I going to do? And actually on my website, I created a, um, a little one pager. It's like six spiritual disciplines for seasons of loneliness that uh, kind of give you different, different kind of things to do when you, when you recognize the lonely feeling, okay, here are six things that you can do today that can help you get on a good path. In the book, what I'm trying to do is actually something different. I'm trying to start with loneliness. I'm trying to start with loneliness as a normal condition. uh, And then look at the things that contribute to loneliness that we don't even necessarily know mm-hmm. uh, that that are driving and, and contributing factors. So, for example, uh, and I take people on the classic journey of spiritual formation, which is sort of this this leaving, this purging of life, this forma- forming of life, informing of life, and this kind of unit union with God, kind of at the end. But I'm doing that through the different things that contribute to loneliness. So, for example, we talk about uh, leaving uh, in this mobile society. A lot of our loneliness is is connected to the fact that we're not rooted in place and space as, mu- as much as we used to be. And so how do we uh, how does our how does our moving about mm-hmm. so much cause us to be? Uh, increase our loneliness or ambition. Uh, I'm a New Yorker, right? New Yorkers are ambitious, right? And so we're driven to try to succeed. How does our ambition actually poison our relationships? Um, and because it can, and it can, and uh, how does our lack of ability to deal with grief or restlessness or vulnerability or um, our, the work of leadership, these different things all contribute to our loneliness. And in each chapter, what I try to do is I try to lead the reader into a interaction with biblical characters that is imaginative, is if is engaged, where where we can kind of learn about ambition by spending time with Jacob. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's never been a character, you know, 
you talk about grasping. Here's a guy whose name means grabber. He's going to grab every opportunity, and it poisons every relationship in his life uh, until he learns to grab onto God. And that's the journey I want to take uh, the reader on is, is, okay, you've got this driving ambition. I've got this driving ambition, too. Can we learn to take that ambition and focus it? on grasping onto God rather than grasping after things that are going to poison the relationships that we have. Um, and that's sort of more of an internal motivation driven sort of approach. But I think both are helpful because um, you need times when you experience, Oh gosh, I'm lonely. What do I do? And then you need times of what do I habitually do? Yeah. <laughs> that is actually making me, what do I love mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that is making me lonely? Yeah. To uh, to kind of slant towards uh, uh, J.K. Smith's uh, James K. Smith's work, and ultimately <clears throat> those things, those hidden habitual things that you're talking about, and you you point on in the book here, are going to be. It, it's like um, I think of those as like the, those are the long term investment opportunities, and so those like it may take longer to deal with, but they're going to pay dividends for much longer down the road, whereas. Um, like like you're saying, some of these more simple, or, or they're not simple necessarily, but uh, the more short-term practical solutions of maybe I need to um, go and hang out with a friend or something like that. Like like Josh yeah. and I have recognized that in our own uh, life and relationship as, as we work together, we do a podcast together and, and the side gig. And um, But we started out as uh, college friends. And so mm. every once in a while, we need to just... Uh, Go see a movie together and hang out as friends because something we, does not work. We, uh, yeah, exactly. Because we spend so much time, which we've been, as been colleagues moaning because yes. we haven't been able to go see any movies the last five months. Yeah, it's been crazy. So, no. <laughs> and so crazy. that's been one of our big sources of uh, of of connection and friendship. There, it's just, yeah. and so we 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 have recognized that that's good to make time for. But uh, if if we still have different tensions within our own hearts or lives. Um, you know, ambition. I, I can't get that chapter out of my uh, out of my mind because, again, of the story you tell that's so real with your friend, um, and, and and sort of that you know the the struggle that's there. And and I struggle with ambition, um, you, you know, myself. So again, I, I take that really to heart. It, it's such a it's such a meaningful investment that's going to completely change your life. But that change is not going to necessarily. Uh, happen overnight like that's something we really have to work at um changing our like james k smith our desires for you know what the things that we want our desires and reach out for how can i take this ambition and turn it towards something um that i can pursue god or pursue uh the things of the kingdom of god and the other tough thing with that is even if we stick to it for let's say a year where we constantly try to improve in 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 a given area the change in our own lives happens so slowly that we may not even recognize that it is happening. Yeah. And so like we we may be working on our ambition, let's say for, for a long time, really making sure that our ambition is to grab hold of the things of God. But let's say 12 months into it, we think, I don't think I've changed. I think that's where it does become important to fall back onto some of those really simple practices, though, and say, go spend some time with a friend or a mentor or a coach or pastor or a spiritual advisor who can give you kind of an outsider's perspective on your life and say, you know what? I've seen some change in those areas. Yeah. And uh, that 
that to me has helped tremendously mm-hmm. for these these long-term investments that that we're talking about mm-hmm. here because I'm terrible at sticking to things. <laughs> so if I hear encouragement from outside people, that, that helps. Yeah. We also like journaling for that reason. <laughs> we do. Journaling is great because it's kind of like, like your own objective past self talking to your present self. Yep. If you go back and read it. <laughs> if you go back and reread it, for sure. Yeah, I like to I like to say that uh, I I like to say that um, you never feel if you feel like you're doing really well in an area or you feel like you're making great progress, you're probably not making quite as much as you think. And if you don't feel like you're making like making a lot of progress, you're probably making more than you think. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's the nature of it. If I if I feel like I get a handle, I've gotten a handle on on grief or or on things or on ambition or on <clears throat> uh, managing vulnerability, right? Then I'm probably only dealing with it at a pretty su- superficial level. Uh, but if I if I feel like oh man, this again, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and I'm but I'm faithful and I'm and I'm, when is this ever going to get better? Then the likelihood is that actually there's that tension is a reminder it, that in that space, uh, God is still at work and I'm, I'm still at work with God in that, in that place and in, in that uh, churning. So, yeah, I think that's really valuable. And it's interesting. That reminds me of uh, a quote from uh, John Owen. He said something along the lines of uh, he, he was kind of putting words in God's mouth, but he said, uh, of the person who's uh, trying to deal with the mortification of their sinful nature, dealing with putting their, their own sinful nature to death. He said, uh, you, sometimes God looks at those people and says, here is one who, if he could be rid of this problem, would also be rid of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, you think back to Second uh, Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. And I think God sometimes uses those things to continue to draw us back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that he wants us to experience the pain. Mm-hmm. It's just that sometimes that might be the best way to connect us with the person who can be the source of uh, the, the real relationship that we need in that moment. Well, and that's where that, that is, that is exactly where the book, that's exactly where the book wait with me goes is that it goes from Sort of thinking about leading and in, leaning into scripture in these different areas and towards a deep engagement with Jesus for Jesus, uh, learning to love God for God's sake and uh, learning to love Jesus for Jesus sake. You know, in the last chapter of the book, I, I tell the story about uh, going back and doing all this imaginative, engaged scripture stuff. And it going back and talking to Father Ugo, and he is completely underwhelmed by the progress I'm making. And uh, he's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. And I was shocked by it because I thought I was doing great. <laughs> and uh, and he, said, he said something really interesting to me. He said, Jason, I, I don't, I, I, I know that you want to love Jesus. I believe that you want to love Jesus, but how do you love somebody you don't know? And I got offended. I said, who is this? Who is this person to tell me I don't know Jesus? Like, you know, what do you think you are? And um, and he said, you know, he said, listen, um, 
you are engaging, you engage with these exercises, you're engaging with this scripture engagement as though the whole point is for God to relate to you, to empathize with you. Have you ever stopped and considered that the loneliness that you're experiencing is an opportunity for you to relate to what Jesus has experienced, for you to learn to empathize with him and his experience? I'd never experienced that. I'd never even considered that before. Um, And that led to a series of times in scripture, meditations, scripture, reflecting in scripture, where, where I realized uh, as I spent time in the garden with Jesus, that all of the things, all the loneliness, the betrayals, the difficult things that I had experienced, they were nothing compared to the betrayals that he was experiencing. And suddenly I, it suddenly it began to feel like, oh, like I, Jesus isn't just my therapist. Like I can be a friend to Jesus in this moment. I can be present to Jesus in scripture, in his suffering, in a way that I could be present to a friend. And wow, that changes my, that changes my heart. It changes my perspective. It changes my way of engaging. And it, it changes what it means that Jesus experienced all of these difficult things uh, on my behalf, for my benefit, etc. It's That's still true. And yet there's a there's a relational dynamic that is unearthed in that. It was, was transformative for me. Absolutely changed how I pray. Changed uh, change is changing how I relate to God. Um, and uh, and I think it is that move from not just going to God because I have a problem that I need God to fix, but going to God because God is beautiful god is god is a a relationship mm-hmm. that is that is deep and meaningful a friendship which is true and and good and so um yeah i, I think that that is um that that's something that i uh, explore in the book and and really long for other people to experience as well yeah that's an incredible insight um i think it was uh it's come up a couple times, but I think Josh and I attribute it to Father Albert, who was a guest on our podcast, when he talked about uh, a lot of people are very occupied with putting their ears up, trying to hear God mm-hmm. up to heaven. And he said, really, what we need to do is we need to keep our ears to the ground to mm-hmm. listen and look to see what God is doing in our midst even now. And I yeah. think what you've just articulated or what Father uh Hugo articulated there (laughs) is like the biblical version of that Mm -hmm. is it's this it's this seeking after a relationship with Christ for who he is Mm -hmm. and again this is what this is what we're trying to really articulate and, and strive to understand when we talk about living a lifestyle of discipleship so like I, I'm kind of blown. I'm, I'm at a loss of words right now because I kind of just want to. Sometimes we have these moments where we just want to pause and like take this moment in <laughs> because that's a really cool insight right there um, that I'm that I, I don't want to skate past too quickly. Um, how has that changed your? How how has that changed your prayer life? For instance, you mentioned it's changed everything. Just yeah. quick example, maybe. Yeah, quick example of how that's changed my prayer life. So. Um, 
so if I go back and read my journals, my prayer journals, because I like to pray while I write, and I like to write while I pray. Um, if I go back and read my prayer journals before that, what I am doing is I am often listing all of the things I am concerned about to God as though he didn't know. And actually, uh, I, I think that that's fine. Um, you know, I, I don't think that God resents that. I think that God welcomes us coming to him and bringing to him all of our concerns. Since that time, what happens is I begin prayer and I begin by writing uh, with uh, pray, thanks and praise for who, for, for where I see God at work already. So it's not sort of the, it's not sort of the formulaic, you know, thank you, Lord, for your omniscience and your omnipresence and your other big words. It's, it's, it's the ways God today, this morning, I had this conversation with one of my daughters and I saw that you were at work there. You were so generous. Thank you for that. Uh, God, I see in this scripture today that you are, you are doing this thing. This morning in Acts 9, I was reflecting on uh, how God, how the story of Peter healing, bringing Dorcas back to life is uh, a kind of a, it has some parallels with Cornelius's conversion in chapter 10. And I'd never seen that before. And I was like, God, you're so generous. Look at this. You've, you've, you've shown me something I've never seen before. I must have studied this passage a hundred times. So my, my prayers are beginning with gratitude. And they're moving towards, uh, rather than describing all the ways I'm feeling about the things that I need attention, I, I will simply list the thing and I'll, I'll wait for perspective or for uh, insight or for something to emerge that feels like, oh, I need to write this down. Now, you know, there, so our, the, my prayers have become uh, less, my posture has become less a posture of, God, you'll never believe all the stuff that I'm dealing with, to God, you are at work here in the midst of all the stuff that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And this time of prayer is really about us relating so we can pay it so we can pay attention to that together. It's also changed the way I pray for other people. Uh, the way I think about praying for other people used to pray for other people before is I used to list out all of the things that the other people needed as though God didn't wasn't already aware of them. And now what I do is I, I imagine it as sitting on the bench with Jesus and then looking with Jesus towards this other person or this other situation and just try to be attentive to, all right, I'm sitting with Jesus. I don't claim to know what all the heart of God, I don't, but I'm, I'm sitting and present to the Lord and I look over at you, Chris, and I say, okay, God, what do you want to, what are you doing there? And, and then I try to pray in response to what I, what I think the whatever little bit of perspective I have about God's heart towards you that's a very different way of praying a very different way of relating to God than sort of just coming in with mm-hmm. gosh you know Chris has got this going on he's got this going on he's got this going on and would you do this for him and that for him um, 
So that's yeah. one small way. No, that's, that's great. I mean, you're <clears throat> emphasizing several things. Like there's like in that example, that's humility and love both towards the other person, but even towards God. Like that's a deepening of your relationship with Christ, even as you're seeking him on someone else's behalf. And then putting yourself in a posture where you could potentially be a source of, uh, of strength or, uh, uh, giving towards that person or, uh, position of relief, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that it, that I can't help but imagine is, um, I, I kind of want to describe what you're talking about is you're, you're leaning into the relationship. Like you're, it, it's becoming more of a relationship. And the only way I can really think to describe that is one, um, that you you develop with a parent as you get older, um, mm-hmm. whereas you when you know I, I've got young kids, so basically my relationship consists of Daddy, can I have more cereal, or I need more milk, <laughs> or I need a banana, or I need apple, like, and it's always one more thing. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. can you kids just chill? And it's one of the things that I love about my daughter, who's mm-hmm. now in first grade and she's getting older. And although I miss the my my little girl. I'm able to start having conversations with her that are that are deeper and more fleshed out. And I, I think about, you know, my relationship with my parents as I, as I got older. And you're right. Like, as we grow in our faith with our father, our heavenly father, it should be the same way. And it should be we are seeking after that relationship or leaning in as, as I can't help but to say yeah. just to him. It's not about what he can give me. And of, of course yeah. he's there. Like you mentioned, sometimes you just want to call your mom and, and get that yeah. advice. But sure. other times it's just, well, what is it that I haven't learned yet about you in, in, in a way that this, this relationship makes me more of a whole person? Yeah, I love that. And, it, you know, I've got daughters too. Mine are now teenagers. But I was talking to one of them yesterday and, um, you know, she's, she's a firstborn. She's over, she's very responsible and she's ready to run, you know, like, so as soon as there's an indication of maybe, you know, she intuits, I might want her to do something. She's ready to, she's ready to kind of jump on it and go after it. And at one point yesterday, we're talking about something and she was thinking, well, I could do this if you, if you want me to do this. I said, I said, you know, uh, I, at this stage in our life, you're 17, uh, you know, this stage in my life, in, in our in our life and relationship, I want to know you far more than I want you to do what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, this is this is more about when I'm asking you questions, I'm not I'm not trying to give you direction. Um, I'm actually just wanting to understand and know you because uh, that's what's important for us. It doesn't mean I don't have opinions about what you should. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't mean I don't doesn't mean I don't have perspective that I think is valuable, but it does mean we're not at a place right now where the main relationship is. I, you know, I tell you what to do. We're in a place in our relationship where I want to know you. And, and, and uh, I think that there's, I think that that's a great picture even as I'm thinking about it right now, of a mature relationship with God, a life with God isn't about, a mature relationship with God isn't about just getting my needs met and following the rules. It's about knowing someone and being known by someone and, uh, and becoming available to that. And, um, and, and Augustine said, you know, our hearts are ever restless until they find their rest in in you, O oh Lord. 
I think that that's just true. I think that um, I think that the nature of uh, of a life with God, what you get in a life with God, you know, the reward of a life with God is God. That's what you get, and you get relationship with God, and the the the, the promise is that actually that's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> life with God is actually so good. It's so beautiful. It's so true that it's, it's absolutely enough. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Um, as we kind of come up here on the end of our time, uh, a sure. couple of, uh, kind of wrap up questions that might feel like we're changing gears here a little bit, but oh, as oh. you're talking about this, I can't help, but want to get in this, um, question what if somebody listens to kind of what you just said you know again the antidote to this loneliness is kind of knowing others and being known by them what would you say to somebody who who comes to you though and says but that's exactly what i'm afraid of i'm afraid of letting myself be known by somebody else and and i guess it could be in any of these categories that we've talked about what would you say to somebody like that i would say the fear is the fear is it's unlikely that there that the real fear is being known. The deeper fear is likely to be rejected, is being rejected. Uh, and the amazing news, the, the amazing truth about the gospel, is radical acceptance and radical hope. God sees you and me, and this person who's afraid to connect because they're afraid of abandonment, they're afraid of rejection, they're afraid of hurt. Um, God sees this person, this you and me, exactly as we are. He doesn't look back. He, he's, not, he's not relating to us on the basis of all the bad things we've done, all the things we're ashamed of, all the, all the pain and grief and, and things that we, we've been formed or deformed by. That's not how God relates to us. He sees us exactly as we are. And there's a radical acceptance in that a radical acceptance that doesn't say, you know, you do you, but a radical acceptance that says, yeah, part of that past and part of that shame and part of that deformation that has gotten you to where you are, that is actually evil and bad. And, and it's, and it's wrong. And it's not my, it's not, it's not what I intend, my intended best. And yet I, Yet God sees us exactly as we are, and he accepts where we are. He accepts, there's a radical acceptance in that. And then there's a radical hope that God doesn't just relate to us on the basis of who we are. He also relates to us on the basis of what we can become as we respond to the love, grace, and truth, truth that he's revealed in Jesus. And entering into that love, what he can do in us. So when somebody says, ah, just so afraid to be known... I would probably challenge them and say, you're, you're probably not afraid to be known. You're afraid of being hurt. You're afraid of being rejected. And the truth is, God already sees everything, everything about you that you'd be afraid he's going to reject. And his posture towards God's posture towards you is one of radical acceptance. He radically accepts who you are right now, not denying the flaws not denying the fears. He sees you as you are, and he sees what you could become if you respond to his love. And those who are, um, those who are friends of God uh, will relate to you in the same way, even if they do it imperfectly. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're if you're afraid of relationships, uh, if you're afraid of rejection, um, find somebody who really knows God and get to know them. You know, I can part of my story in coming to faith in Jesus. I, I was as churched as you could get. I mean, I I I grew up in church um, and um, part of how I came to faith in Jesus because that that churched background was pretty compromised by immorality uh, and by pain and grief and shame and difficult experiences we had grown up. And then when I was in college, I met somebody who I just knew they knew God. And it was the it was this person's ability to radically accept me as I was and not get freaked out by the bad habits I had, by the shameful past I had, by the things I was, I was, you know, I would have rejected me around. He, he just wasn't intimidated by any of that. Uh, but he was able to communicate uh, because he was a friend of God. He was able to communicate to me and relate to me in a way that is like how God does. Mm-hmm. Radical acceptance and then radical hope for what it could be in God's future. Yeah, man. I think that's a, I don't know. I kind of want to give a call to action on that one. <laughs> like, like, Lord, let that be us, that we would be mm-hmm. those kinds of people to, to those in our life that need it. To, to yeah. see the lonely people around us as we're sitting there on the bench with you, praying, leaning into our relationship. May you give us eyes to see those around us who are lonely and need someone to come along the side them and be your hands and feet and, and to walk with them as you would. Absolutely. So right. And let me say it, I would add to that prayer, help us to see those who are desperately lonely, who look like they're not. Mm, yeah. Sometimes it's the people who have the best Instagram profiles and the best social media presence and the most attractive curated life who are dying inside of loneliness uh, and, um, but may the Lord give us grace as, as, as pastors and ministers and just people who know God to recognize the folks who are actually pretty lonely yes. and, and to, to love them as God does. Amen. Amen. Well, Jason, where can people go? You mentioned your website. Where can people go to find out more about your work and get uh, connected to what you're doing? Sure. Uh, they can go to jasongabry.com. Um, and uh, my la- Jason, J-S-O-N, last name is spelled G-A-B-O-U-R-Y.com. And there I am, similar to you all, I am I'm trying to help people build a life with God. Um, I, I think that most people want a life with God and find, it confu- find spiritual practices and church confusing and out of touch. And so I'm trying to find practical, simple ways to help folks live life with God every day. Um, so they can find they can find that there, and they can find uh, resources um, about me and and about uh, some of the work. They can also find the book there. Uh, Wait with me is available anywhere books are sold. It's InterVarsity Press, and um, it is um, yeah, it's, it it it's available. Um, and uh, I think those are the two places. I'm yeah. also on Instagram, and I'm on. Facebook and those kinds of places so folks can find me if they want to find me on social media as well. Yep. And we will have everything linked in the show notes so you guys can go down there. We'll also 
um, have to get that uh, document that you said, the six spiritual disciplines and link to that as well um, to help people walk through with loneliness. But highly, highly recommend the book. It's an easy read. Should be intimidated by it. Uh, it will bless you. It's got great stories, and you deal with some really great um, themes and, and material. I love. I love when authors can dive into uh, the biblical world and and pull out fresh way of thinking about it. So I thank you for that. Um, yeah, Jason, this was a pleasure. We're we're gonna have to have you back on and, yeah, and really maybe great. talk talk more about you know creating a lifestyle of discipleship and. Lots of these spiritual practices is because we can simplify it. Because I love what you said. You're right. We we tend to make it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be sometimes in the church. So, Absolutely. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Jason's work, check out jasongabry.com. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.